0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike. Abner is a pro at entertaining the world, both in and out of the ring. David, why are you giggling when I say abuelas?
1: I'm just like, I'm seeing the copy. Not that it's not that you saying it. It's that clearly some people didn't say it correctly, um, which obviously you do not have a problem with. Um, And so there's a pronunciation guide in there and that cracked me up.
0: I love that uh, the pronunciations that we get wrong are generally English words, but throw some (laughs) Spanish in here and I am on it. (laughs) I'm on it. and do not get it wrong. <laughs> on Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and family life, being a husband and a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes en Español out on Wednesdays. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a win Wednesday. Not the win Wednesday that we expected, but damn it, I'll take it anyway. We have a new Shanna hat. All hail the new Shanna hat. Never change this damn hat. Kyle Shanahan with me this week,
1: dialing in the pod quality like a high-end manual coffee grinder. It's David Newman. Look, man, I'm just trying to get rid of those boulders, get rid of those fines. I just need that consistent grind quality.
0: You know how I know that we are fully embracing the dad life. We have when we're not talking about football, we have conversations about things like coffee grinders and whether or not 64 millimeter flat burrs with a you know motor are different than you know kind of the the grinders that we're currently rocking now. The entry level grinder. Um, You know, we talk about wonderful things like grills and what kind of charcoal grill we love, uh, inflatable pools. Uh, these are the love conversations it. that we have, David. We are full Daddington corner when we're not talking
1: about uh, the the Niners dunking on the Los Angeles Rams. The old is strong. The old is strong with us right now. Um, <laughs> I feel it. I don't know that we're doing that ad anymore, but uh, many signs of aging, and it shows up in conversation <laughs> topics as well. I love it. Absolutely love it. I, I'm sipping on my Springbank 15 this is
0: my new favorite scotch. Absolutely love it. I was sipping it at the very end of the Rams game when we get a backflip. We get a backflip at the end of the game for a victory. And backflip means you got to drink a drink. And I had the rest of that spring bank and it was delicious. I tweeted out a picture and someone said, I, some version of I forget exactly who it was, but they said, I'm kind of impressed that you're drinking scotch that good. I'm like, do I seem like someone who would drink bad scotch? Come on, this clearly, is my question. you haven't been listening to the podcast very long. <laughs> we have a beer can that opens the whole pod. Like, I like. I feel like I'm pretty into my alcohol, but let's <laughs> man. This game, the game on Sunday night, we didn't expect to win. I no. mean, you know, we had the pregame on the Patreon. We had questions. We were taking them. We were saying, you know, this is not necessarily a game the Niners expect to win. I mean, basically, the last episode was like a eulogy for the Niners' season in Week Five, and and basically, it's the scene in the Rock where you got to get that needle of adrenaline right into the heart. And you got Nick Cage just, I forget if he's doing the stabbing or if he's getting stabbed. I think he got stabbed. Uh And he is just got flares. He's up on his knees getting all manner of reinforcements. And that's exactly what the Niners did on Sunday night against the Rams because they beat LA Uh and they beat them, you know, pretty well, at least early on, it was a good game, but, uh, let's talk about the things that we liked, David. Kick us
1: off. What's the first thing that we think about this game? Where we we were talking about this like during the game. Where was that game plan the last couple weeks? Like this was exactly what we talked about uh, when Nick Mullins was going to make his start, right? And it was like, okay, we we need to see the stuff that that's going to like the the schemed up stuff, right? The screens, the jet sweeps, the you know reverses, like all of that stuff that they do so well um to to kind of create this misdirection and get easy yards for their offense essentially um that was basically i mean it was the entire first drive down there for a touchdown um but it, and it was just such a huge part of the early game plan there and it was just it was uh it was awesome i mean obviously when they're they're doing those things and, and they're executing them well it's a lot of fun to watch and it was just more of like a man where where has this been the last couple weeks?
0: Yeah, I mean, all six of Debo's catches were behind the line of scrimmage. You got the first drive, I think I called it a banger of a drive, and I still stand by that characterization of the drive. <laughs> uh, and you have, uh, you know, getting the ball to your playmakers in space. Uh, you've got a screen to Kittle. You've got those tap passes to Debo, uh, which featured prominently over the course of the game. But these were really extensions of the run game. And they were attacking the edge of the defense, for the Rams and the, and you were doing it by getting the ball in your playmaker's hands I mean all all in all the game plan was very much to not necessarily minimize Jimmy Garoppolo but really not make the game fall on his shoulders as greatly as perhaps um you know you you really can't expect him to do on a kind of a bum ankle and and where Jimmy is right now because of his ankle I think that's that's probably the right thing to do I mean you you wanted to get the ball out of his hands quick not just because you wanted to protect him but because you have no idea what kind of throw he's going to make at any given time he could make a fourth down zero blitz throw uh, or a throw against cover zero and and hit George Kittle in stride and you got a touchdown or he could miss a wide open fullback and and you just don't know which one you're getting so best thing to do is just don't make him throw very far
1: Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely, I mean, I'll say it it absolutely was to minimize Jimmy Garoppolo's impact on this game. Like that's like, this was the bad quarterback game plan. Like this is what you do when you don't have a quarterback that you can uh, feel comfortable dropping back, um, you know, however many times and just, and just sticking with your drop back pass game and throwing it against defenses that know you're going to throw it. Like you have to do things that, um, get the defense off balance that create misdirection that, you know, make, get them flown <laughs> one way. So you throw a screen the other way. Like it's just free yards essentially for your offense because of the things that they're scheming up. And and so you look at so many of those plays and, and so many of the throws, like, again, I think the entire first half uh, or excuse me, first drive um, was throws that were behind the line of scrimmage. And that was a big part of the game in general, right, in in what their passing attack was in this game. And so I think while, uh, you know, definitely part of that is because of Jimmy's ankle, of course. Like, you see on a few throws where he was forced to move around. You know, one of them was was kind of more on a scramble where he ends up, um, you know, not being able to get enough into it and underthrowing Kittle working towards the sideline. Another one, which I thought was kind of curious, was actually the one... Um, that was to Trent Taylor down near the goal line where they get the designed roll out there and he just like you know is having to throw off that bum ankle roll into his right and and just can't get it uh, the ball where he wants it to because and, and leaves it behind and nearly gets it picked off and so you could see the ankle affecting him and obviously you want to do everything you can. Um, to minimize the ankle's impact on the game, and that's getting the ball out quick, even when you are in drop back stuff, and then also doing things where the ball is out so quick that like pass rush or, or Jimmy being in jeopardy like is never entering the equation. Per next gen stats, Jimmy Garoppolo averaged just
0: 4.4 air yards on his attempt, tied for the second lowest in a game this year. He had just 1.8 air yards on his completions, which is the third lowest in a game this year. And on average, he threw the ball in Alex Smithian ways, 3.4 yards short of the sticks, third lowest in week six. And to your point, all of it resulted in Jimmy just not getting a lot of pressure. He was pressured on just four of 34 attempts, which was 11.7%. This season... The quarterbacks that have faced the least amount of pressure have been getting pressure like 22 to 24% of the time. That's your Ben Roethlisberger of the world. Tom Brady is in that realm. Colin Murray, incidentally, also. Those are the top three, or the, like the lowest three teams that have the quarterbacks that have faced pressure this year. But even if you take a look at uh, season-long pressure rates going all the way back to 2006, what you, David, would call the PFF era. On average, the the teams uh, that the lowest pressure allowing teams are allowing pressure at like twenty to twenty two percent of the time. The lowest is nineteen percent. It's Peyton Manning in twenty twelve. Jimmy was pressured on just eleven point seven percent of his throws. This is how a good offensive coordinator can scheme a game plan to eliminate pressure on your quarterback, and that's exactly what Shanahan did, and and that's why I think the story really is Shanahan's game plan maximizing what the Niners do, put them in a positive game script and put them in a position where they could really grind out the rest of the game with their run game and not have to throw to win the game, which is the position they were in against Miami.
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was everything that they needed to happen in this game, right? When we were talking on the Patreon, uh, you know, in that pregame chat there, and, and we were kind of talking about, okay, what is a path to a victory even look like for the 49ers in this game. And it was kind of taking that more underdog strategy, right? So you're having to bring in a lot of the schemed up stuff. You're also having to, to run the ball a lot. You're trying to go on these long drives. You're trying to milk clock. I mean, I think they had the ball for what, like 12 minutes in the first quarter or something ridiculous like that. So dude, I was watching the all 22 for the, for the defense. And it, it just kept jumping
0: ahead. Like it was like quarters. you see, yeah. yeah, you, you see three plays and you're like, oh shit, I'm in the second quarter
1: already. What's going on here? It, it just kept jumping in chunks. It was really funny. Right. Which is exactly what you want, right? You want to, to shorten the game. So when you come in as an underdog and, and which I think is exactly the the case in this game, right? I think with the the state of the 49 roster with all these injuries, like coming into this game, um, it was very much a game that looked like the Rams should win. And so when you're coming in as that underdog, you want to do things that increase the variance. And so that comes into to shortening the game, limiting the number of plays. And, and the way you do that offensively is trying to control the ball, use the run game, use these other schemed up plays that you mentioned, right? Or like an extension of the run game, the screens and the jet sweeps and stuff like that. Um, and, and this was exactly what they ended up doing in it. And then they executed it so well and, and Shanahan dialed it up so well early on that they were able to create these, chunk yards on on those schemed up plays and then you had you know even in situations where it wasn't necessarily um wide open yardage right like you look at the Kittle screen for instance and that was just so well designed that it was just empty space for Kittle to take advantage of but then there were plays where like Debo is is running over dudes and and just like carrying guys past the first down mark that's the game yeah and and so it, it was very much a situation where you you have created this offense that has a bunch of playmakers and guys that excel after the catch and, and it's just how do we find ways to get the ball in their hand as quickly as possible so we can let them do their thing i mean they averaged uh you know they had 11.7 yards per completion was what the 49ers average as an offense 9.7 of those came after the catch like this was it was just getting the ball in your guys hands and and letting them go to work and then you're you're also letting Shanahan do his thing in terms of creating the best possible situations for that so that they have, you know, some open space to get going to begin with. And, and Josh Cohen actually said this
0: in in a tweet around Ryan Tannehill. And I thought that the way that he phrased it was really was really good because I do think that it applies to, to, to Garoppolo. And I also think it applies to Jared Goff to a certain degree. And we're going to talk about Goff and the Rams and, and their opportunities in a minute. But he, he talked about how you value an efficient quarterback based on what he's asked to do versus considering the breadth of what that quarterback is asked to do and i i do think that it's not lost on 49ers fans and i think this is where maybe fans who like are super like you know bow up and defend Jimmy a lot is and they're used to seeing bad quarterbacking and so they think that like just competent quarterbacking is good quarterbacking and there there is a world where I mean, hell, we saw it with, with C.J. Beathard and with Nick Mullins, right? Where you cannot execute even the basic things that a quarterback would need to do in order to execute a good game plan. We've seen that. We know that that's bad football. It's obviously bad football. There's a step above that where a quarterback executes what he's being asked to do, but he's just not being asked to do a whole hell of a lot. Like, think about that tap past to Debo. I'm literally being asked to volleyball set the ball a yard. And basically, what I have to make sure and do is not screw up the timing and catch the snap. I can do and that. I'm gonna, and I'm, I'm going to get nine yards. You know, like that's, that, that's the kind of the, the breadth of what he's asked to do is not super great and not super wide. And the, it, there's still value in executing that thing. But I think it's also good to recognize that, like, it's not, you're not asking Garoppolo to do a ton. He did a couple things that were nice in this game. I think the fourth down uh, throw, which resulted in a touchdown, was huge actually swung the game 11 percentage points in win percentage for the Niners. That's from Eric Eager. I asked him about it on Twitter, and he was so gracious in giving us a stat, but that's a huge deal. You don't see Shanahan. This is probably one of his best called games, I think, all year, not just in the game plan, but also in going for it on fourth down in a high leverage situation. It's fourth and two. He normally doesn't go for fourth and twos. He knew he was going to go before he called the third down play, which is why he called a third down run which got you the fourth and two, which got you the opportunity. I mean that that is smart, cohesive play calling. Knowing you're going to go for it, calling it with two downs to go, and then getting the zero blitz, and and you have Garoppolo executing on that zero blitz. But even then, I'm not sure that Kittle. It looked like the guy was close, but I don't think he was like super duper close. Um, but he hits him well enough, and and but that's a quarterback. That's a throw that you expect a quarterback to make.
1: Right. Yeah, I, and I think that's the thing that is that you can really say about most of Garoppolo's throws, right? So even when you kind of filter out, get rid of the screens, get rid of the jet sweeps and all that stuff, right? Wherever I think everybody can hopefully like any reasonable person can, can say that like, okay, these throws behind the line of scrimmage aren't really requiring a lot from your quarterback. Right. But, but what was he doing on the stuff when he did have to throw beyond the line of scrimmage and, and you're getting into a little bit more of your, your base offense, your, you know, normal play action, drop back type stuff. Like, even that was a little bit mixed right I think he he had a few nice throws the fourth and two obviously I think the the best among those um had a couple other really good throws in in the game where he's finding open receivers but he had some misses as well like he had some some throws that he definitely um had guys open that he could have missed and he either uh was inaccurate or, or or whatever and I think that's kind of like where he's at right now right like Uh, he's getting a lot of open throws, like a lot of his completions and even his positive throws, like they're not throws into tight coverage, right? He only had on his 33 attempts, two throws that were into tight coverage. Everything else was to somebody that had at least a step of separation. And and so when you, you have those opportunities as a quarterback, like it really becomes expected for you to hit those. And I think like if anything, you could can take some issue with where Jimmy's been at. You look over the season when he's throwing to guys beyond the line of scrimmage that have at least a step of separation. There have been 38 qualifying quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo's 27th in accuracy in those situations. That's below both CJ Beathard and Nick Mullins as well. So when he's presented with these open throws that are down the field in your normal offense, he hasn't been super great at taking advantage of those. And I think this was a game where he, he starts to steer it a little bit more on track, but there were still misses in there as well. Yeah,
0: so he he definitely had a better game. He definitely steered it on track, but really it, it's, it's the game plan at Shanahan. It's putting Garoppolo in a situation where he was able to execute what he was asked to do. The Rams, on the other hand, also had some missed opportunities. Because Jared Goff, who who I think in my mind, because of the McVay system, because it really is an offshoot of Shanahan's system, that I, I'll always kind of link Goff and his performance and, and Garoppolo or whomever Shanahan trots at a quarterback, in my mind, I'll, I'll always look at them kind of together. But the Rams missed some opportunities, and, and Goff looked off, really, until he wasn't. There were a couple of really phenomenal throws that Goff had, but he threw some balls into the dirt. He was missing receivers. I mean, the the third quarter was incredibly problematic for the Rams because the the Niners held the ball for a long time in the first half. But you get to that third quarter and they had opportunities for points on all three of their possessions in the third quarter, but they only managed three points. I mean, David walk us through those drives and, and really kind of just like how close they were to really uncorking the game in the
1: third quarter. Right. Cause the, I mean, things were really starting to flip, right? So the 49ers also had three possessions in, in this quarter Um, but they only had like, I mean, they were three and out on the first two and they had four plays on the next one, you know? So, so like they, things were starting to sputter a little bit offensively and the Rams were starting to get going a little bit and they had these crucial third downs that they just kept having something go wrong. And so you get the first one third and five they're just outside the red zone you end up with josh reynolds with in single coverage on emmanuel mosley um and you have a miscommunication on that route goff thinks he's going to be going deep on a vertical route to the side or to the end zone um and and reynolds you know ends up breaking the route off on a comeback and so again you don't know really like it's not to say that he was wide open but you know you throw it up in a one-on-one situation who knows who comes down with that ball and, and what they Ryan can do Fitzpatrick. with that Ryan Fitzpatrick wouldn't know what would happen. He throws it up. <laughs> I mean, people just come down with it. People come down with it. That's just how it goes. Uh, and then, so you get to the next drive again, third and four. Um, and, and they have this time, a player wide open. Cooper Cup just absolutely roasts Jakowski Tart, gets behind the defense, and, and again, it just uh Goff and Cup seem to not quite be on the same page as to the angle that he was going to be taking that. And so the ball's a little bit off and, and they don't capitalize on that. No points on that drive. And then you get to the third drive, and they have you know two opportunities really that they should have scored touchdowns on. So you have the third and two play where Cup drops the pass, you know, that's on uh the sideline over to the right side. And then on the fourth and two play that ends up as an interception by Jason Brett, which is a great play, something that we broke down on the Patreon, but there's an opportunity to complete that pass, right? Josh Reynolds has a step on Jimmy Ward on that play and and a more accurate throw from Goff there probably results in a touchdown even with the great play from from Jason Brett, right? It really does take that inaccurate throw out in front of Reynolds that that gives Brett the opportunity to get the turnover there. And so this was a situation where they had three drives that either got deep into 49ers territory and into the red zone or, or really had a chance to score touchdowns on them. Uh, and they ended up with three points total on those drives. And and so that, that whole third quarter was just something that, you know, one or two of those things go differently and we could have been looking at a much different game. Yeah,
0: but but ultimately I think when, when you look at the, the game that Goff had and the game that Garoppolo had, they both probably ended up doing you know probably having the same amount of impact on the game but the the characterization of the of Goff's play over the course of the game was some bonkers throws the the touchdown that he had to to bobby trees was ridiculous i mean you've got basically a ball that is only going to be caught by your guy and the only spot that he can catch it with a defender tart in really good coverage and it's like just outside of his outstretched hand and it's caught by Bobby Trees. I just like saying Bobby Trees. Best nickname in football. Great nickname. And, and, and then you've got the throw to, to Higby over on the corner. Like, those are some high-level, okay, there's a reason you were the first overall pick in, in the NFL kind of throws. Um, but then you've got throws where it's like in the dirt or where he's like making Cooper Cup spin in a circle three times before he knows where the ball is. Um, you know, so, so that's like kind of like the, he's, he's a, um, like a, I don't know, a less variance James Winston Right, where it's like high high highs, uh, some low lows, and eventually it's like, eh, Goff didn't do a good job. Garoppolo was like steady Eddie in the middle. It's like not too high, not too low, just like right there. But the net result of the composition of that play is that both had, um, you know, like not a super great impact and it came to everything else. And in this case, the everything else was Shanahan's game plan and some really clutch, clutch plays from the 49ers defense. So speaking of the defense. Let's talk about some cornerbacks, because having two functional corners was kind of fun. Two actual <laughs> NFL caliber corners. The, I mean, the Rams led the league in explosive play rate coming into the game at fourteen percent, and the Niners allowed explosive plays at a pretty high rate, one of the one of the highest rates in the league at eleven percent. And this is where Jason Brett enters into the fold, <laughs> and mostly Emmanuel Mosley too, because you know, we'll talk about Jason Brett in a second. But Emmanuel Mosley had a pretty good game as well. He had a pass breakup. Yeah, he got called for a pass interference, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But he was it. It, it just felt a lot better with him on the other side, and and I'm surprised that uh, that McVeigh, like seemingly everyone else up to now, didn't just say, "We're going to go back to eleven personnel. We're going to go back to four wide and test your corner depth and see who we can pick apart."
1: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, so yeah, I mean, on on the one hand, right, absolutely so much better having just two guys that are competent out there, right? And and like I don't think Mosley was um, you know, he wasn't like lights out in this game or anything like that, but he was just a, a competent corner that he like he made some good plays. Yeah, he gave up a few receptions as well and had a few plays that that weren't quite as great. But like overall there was nothing that was just like some devastating bust where, where you're giving up a huge play or you're, you know, completely busting an assignment and leaving a guy wide open. Like it was just solid, competent cornerback play. And I think that is so huge because I think overall, like, you know, we, cause we also saw like, um, you know, I think Jimmy Ward's best game of the season, probably in this, in this game here. And so Jawaski um, Tart, I think has been pretty solid throughout the course of the season. So suddenly when, when you get, you know, the secondary, at least in a place where you don't have this clear glaring weakness that you can go after playing and play out um, as an opposing offense, like that really changes things and, and makes it a lot easier to at least it, it, there's a feeling like the offense has to earn it, right? If they're going to move down the field and they're going to get points on the, on that drive, like you're at least not giving him these freebies that it seems like they had the week before against Miami, right. Where it's just like it busts or guys getting just completely roasted and, and getting beat for, for big plays, you know, that, that were just like freebies for that Miami offense, seeing those things kind of go away, um, is, is so huge. And and the, their ability to sustain that as they go into this, like really difficult schedule over the remaining, um, parts of the season, like is, is going to be critical to their success. I mean, Jared Goff, we we talked about the pressure rate that Jimmy Garoppolo faced over the course of the game, which was just 11.8%.
0: And and over the course of the season, teams that allow the best teams in the NFL are going to allow like 20 to 22%, 25% maybe. Jared Goff was only pressured on 20.8% of his snaps. So this wasn't like a high pressure game. For the Niners defense to play this well, it was because their coverage unit played well. And you talked about the best game from Jimmy Ward. Definitely agree. And you talk about Emmanuel Moseley being functional, but Jason Fret had a completely lights-out bonkers game. He had the bonkers game. I think it started with, uh, you know, he had a really good pass breakup where he just identifies the route, comes back, drives, and is, and is able to knock the ball away. And of course, the play that everyone's talking about, which is the play in the end zone. We we have a video on the Patreon if you want to see kind of the 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 super detailed analysis of what happens. But he he basically, in a nutshell, peels off of his guy, recognizes what's happening and is able to capitalize on a throw that's probably just a little too far out of the reach of Josh Reynolds and ends up with an interception. And and it's the interception I think that really seals the game for the Niners because if the Rams score there, it's a game. And the Rams had been moving the ball down the field and and the Niners really at that point had not. So that that play, I think if you if the Niners are able to make it to the playoffs and, and at this point you know, I know it's super early. We're six weeks in, but they are on the outside looking in at this point. Three teams from the NFC West make the playoffs currently. The Niners are not one of them. Um, and 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 that's if you were to end the season today. But if the Niners do end up sneaking into the playoffs, I think you look at that play and you think to yourself that this is a play where they they finally find a corner that's actually you know going to actually do something, and and you actually win a division game because if they win the playoffs, it's going to be you know climbing the division in the NFC West.
1: And it's not only like I think if we look back on the season, right? It's it that play in in this game for Vrett is is going to have to be the start of what becomes a very very good season. You know, we we've talked about Vrett kind of coming into this game and that like, yeah, he's been he's been solid. He's like had a few nice moments, but there definitely have been some, like he wasn't anything resembling the player that he was like pre-injury, right? When we were talking about like, hey, this is a a guy that you should target in free agency is like this high reward low risk type of of player um he hadn't shown anything that that like made you believe that that high reward was really still on the table right it was like okay like maybe he's just not gonna ever be the same guy he's he's just you know a a solid player at this point which is fine obviously they need that given the state of their secondary right now but this was the game that he really started to show that like okay maybe there's a little bit of that left in him and, and, and if he can be more than just a solid corner and he can kind of almost take over that Richard you know because again as we're going to talk about with Sherman like he's not coming back anytime soon if if he can be that guy that is kind of like you know the top end cornerback for this team that can really help solidify the secondary and now you're talking about Emmanuel Mosley continuing to be the player that we've come to expect from him on the other side now things can start to round out with that secondary and, and you can have a pass defense that can actually have some hope of, of getting it done.
0: What do you do when Sherman comes back, which is going to be later than normal? We'll, we'll just remove this from the quick hits. Sherman isn't coming back until late November after the buy. That's from, from Shanahan out there with D Ford as someone who was like shiny behind glass, you know, you kind of have them, but you can't really open the package. Um,
1: what happens when he comes back? Do you start Mosley? Do you start Verrett? I mean, if, if they continue, like, I mean, this is obviously basing it on, on this one game, really. But, I mean, if, if Verrett continues to show this, it's absolutely Verrett. Like, Verrett showed things in this game that, in my opinion, Mosley has never really shown that he's capable of. Like, Mosley, you know, largely avoids the disastrous play, which I think is is, I mean, a lot of times for dbs in the nfl man that's like half the battle right like just not giving up these disastrous big plays where where a team knows that they can just go after you playing and play out Um, and he's had a
0: couple good pass breakups
1: right where he's able to drive on the ball and
0: and use his length to kind of you know knock the ball away he had one again i think in in the rams game as well um but but those are not but i haven't ever seen him kind of do the thing where he recognizes what's happening around him and go, Oh, I know what's about to happen and then break and make a play like Verrett did in the end zone against the Rams.
1: And I just think like athletically he's not really capable. So like, yeah, he's not, you know, which again, comparing him to Sherman is, is not exactly the most fair thing to do, but obviously not in the same league as Sherman from a mental standpoint. And, and that's really where you have to be, you know, at least somewhere approaching that level. If you're going to, be a true like high end cornerback and not have that top end athleticism and so i think mosley you know obviously doesn't doesn't quite have that doesn't have that same experience as sherman and then he doesn't have that athleticism to really rely on that can help him you know when he's going against some of the better receivers in the league and so i think he's always going to have a little bit of struggles there if he's asked to match up with some of those guys but again that's fine you're going to live with some of those things you know it this is a league where offenses if they're executing well, they're largely going to do what they want to do, you know? And, and so you're just looking to, again, have guys that, that aren't a disaster out there and aren't giving them free plays. And, and he, I think, checks that box for sure.
0: Yeah. Lastly here, before we get to the quick hits is just, I'm, I'm kind of getting really frustrated with this damn pass interference rule. I don't know how to fix it. I don't. But I just, I looked at the PI that Mosley had and I'm like, I see plays like that every week that don't get called. And, and then I look at the 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 game where uh, again, the Cowboys game where my dude gets mugged like CeeDee Lamb full on gets mugged and, and the guy makes the interception and they don't call it. And, and I don't I know that the whole review thing ended after one year and they didn't like it it stopped the game too often. And, and I get that. I understand it. I don't know how to fix it, but it, it does feel and someone replied this way on Twitter. And I think it's, it's an apt example. It, and it's the reason I hope James Harden never wins a ring. I hate the way James Harden James Harden plays. I, he is, he's a phenomenal basketball player. He is. Like the way that he hits a step back three is beautiful. It is poetry in motion. But God damn it, every time he like jumps and gets a free call, like I just, I don't like it. And, and that's what I feel like wide receivers can do now is if there's a defender anywhere near you, you can jump up and get a free call and it's going to be PI. I don't know how to fix it, but it's frustrating. You
1: fix it by having better cornerbacks. Like, I I don't know. I I find it difficult to, like, get uh, overly frustrated with, like, those types of things. Like, ultimately, the rules are what the rules are. And and we, the refs have been imperfect forever, right? Like, there's never, you're never going to remove that element. There's always going to be inconsistency between calls. Um, and, And so the way that you avoid that is having... Defenders that like, I mean, part of it is you're going to live with some bad calls and, and just accept that that's a reality that you're going to deal with in some games. And then otherwise, you get players that don't like fucking commit pass interference all the time, like that are in better position where they're not trailing a guy and having to run into him and, and giving the receiver the opportunity to do that stuff. So, yeah, yeah I and it's I, like I see and it, it as like a talent deficiency, quarter-
0: and it, 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 I also see it as a talent deficiency on quarterbacks too, because the part of the reason that you do it is because the quarterback throws an underthrown ball and now it's like oh it's going to look like i have to go through the the cornerback and get that ball it, it just it, it it again i don't know how to fix it i don't know what the right answer is i don't know if
1: there is a right answer right um i mean i think the but thing the, the 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 only thing i would say from a rule standpoint that that they need to do is it shouldn't be a spot foul like they need right, exactly. to adjust. make it a 15
0: yarder yeah like, like they, they need call.
1: to adjust the severity of the actual penalty i think that's probably the best case that you're going to get Um, Because it is, yeah, I I think um, a tough pill to swallow when it's, uh, you know, something that you can clearly see on replay is a bad call and it's maybe in a crucial game situation. And suddenly that's giving, you know, that offense a 40-yard play, right? Like that's just such a huge swing that doesn't seem to match up with the severity of the foul. And and so I think um, everybody wants to say that, like, you know, you're just going to see pass interference committed all the time if you change it to a 15-yard. Like we don't see that in in college, um, and, and so I just like I don't think there's any evidence to support that. Like suddenly you're going to see if you change it to just a 15-yard penalty or something like that that we're going to see this massive increase in in pass interference penalties with guys just like tackling receivers downfield. Like it's just not going to work out that way. Well, right, let's get to our quick hits, but first a quick word from our sponsors. Because this week's
0: pod is brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long term contracts. Plus, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Unconfirmed whether you can take that $75 and do something else with it, not on Indeed. But we'll find, we'll find out here soon. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. This week's pod is also brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. Not going to lie, David. This ad read happens on a lot of other football podcasts that I listen to. And I listen to how other people read it and compare it to how I read it. And just, <laughs> you know, just do a little soft scouting.
1: Yeah, That's all. You got to do it. You know?
0: Got it every now and again. You know, you got to watch the tape on yourself or in this case, hear the tape. But instead of entering the NFL, they, you know, do podcasts about the NFL uh, (laughs) or they joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. I was excited to watch nearly the full offense work together for one whole half of one whole game. And sometime in week 14, I'll get to see it again. (laughs) Maybe this one time at some point this season. But Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day or through the nine weeks between now and having a full offense. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it, like us. Pepsi, made for football watching. All right, let's get to our quick hits. David Jamichael Hasty is the running back we were promised. 4.1 yards for carry, little pep in his step, more dreadlocks on the field, which objectively make your team better. It just it's it's everything. It's everything I wanted. It's everything an undrafted free agent brings to the table. Jamichael Hasty, pick him up on all of your fancy teams for one whole week. It may it may matter.
1: Uh man, I nearly nearly missed it. Robert Saul, let's get to something more a little bit more important than than running back play. Um I think it's, you know, uh, something that we've been talking about, I think, all season long, talking about Robert Sala manufacturing pressure, right? And and obviously, they were without a number of their pra- their pass rushers, so they can't sit back and, and just rush four and drop seven the way that they did so often last season. And we're seeing that, you know, they didn't really get it, as you mentioned, a lot of pressure in this Rams game specifically, but they are top 10 right now in the league in both blitz and stunt rate. And that is after being 21st or worth Or or worse, um, excuse me, in in both of those stats last season. So it is definitely a change of pace from what we saw a year ago, and and it's something that I would expect to continue while they have no pass rushers available. Yeah, and while they're not generating pressure at the same rate as last season,
0: they've been able to stay in the top 10, currently 8th at 34.7%. So he's generating pressure successfully. Contract news. The 49ers restructured Lakin Tomlinson's contract. They added voidable years to the end of his deal, freeing up $1.3 million in cap space. Because of all of the cap, like all the people that have been injured, all the players have had to sign, the Niners basically had something like $31,000 in cap space like a couple, just a week ago. So Yikes. it's been, yeah, a lot of injuries, a lot of things, a lot of people getting signed. That means you commit money. It all sucks. But like in Tomlinson, get some voidable years, free up some space. Oh, remember that rollover we thought we were going to have at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's not going
1: to be a good thing we're paying that fullback and kicker so much money. Kendrick Bourne, (laughs) another drop pass. Um, Another not so great time to drop a pass. It's just who my guy is right now. Um, It really is. And and forever. I, I saw a video of him on a bounce ball catching
0: tennis balls and golf balls, like in each left and right hand. And I'm like, bro, maybe you should just catch footballs. Because yeah, get on that jugs you, machine. All right? You think get you, those because maybe you're, you you get those tennis balls that, they're a lot smaller. They're not as big as a football. They might be throwing you off. That's all I'm saying. Like some of them should just throw footballs at him maybe more often and not <laughs> tennis balls. You know, just expand expand your hands a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Marcel Harris has missed the tackle once every three and a half attempts this season. It's not great, but you think to yourself, David, that's a small sample size. He has not played a whole hell of a lot. Don't throw my man. Under the small sample bus. Well, we go back to 2019. He missed the tackle once every five attempts. How, what, what's the context, David? Numbers without context don't matter. Well, that put him 84th out of 98 qualifying safeties. Okay, but that's like, I mean, 2019. Let's go to 2018. He had a good 2018, right? Yeah, he missed one every 4.2 attempts. Tackling is just not my dude's thing.
1: Can't do it. Can't 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 win with him. <laughs> can't can't blame this one on the, the no on COVID, right? Can't blame it on the COVID, no practices. Like my guy just can't tackle. All right. And it's just the reality that, that we live in right now. Um there are a number of players. The 49ers seem to be drawn to guys that can run really fast towards a ball carrier and not bring him down. I'm just saying he's he not is, the only one. I'm not gonna name names Quan Alexander, but like there there are other players that fit that bill. George Kittle, let's let's uh let's get to something that we can all agree on and love. George Kittle, if he gets 112 yards this week against the Patriots, he will have the most yards ever for a tight end in his first 50 starts. That's pretty baller. I love it, George Kittle, the man who saves us all. All right, let's get to the
0: kind of things that are coming up ahead. Breaking news today, David. We have a new player, Jordan Willis no relation to Patrick. The Niners send a 2022 sixth round pick to the New York Jets and receive Jordan Willis plus a 2021 seventh round pick in exchange. If I'm the Jets and I'm looking at the Niners record right now, don't I want a 2021 pick? Maybe the Jets think the Niners are going to be worse than 2022. Who knows? But let's talk a little bit about Jordan Willis because he's got An interesting background. He's got a background that uh, we would love here on the Better Rivals podcast. He was a great prospect coming out of college. The Bengals drafted him in the third round of 2017. He was a fantastic athlete coming out of Kansas State. We love athleticism. And if you're going to take a shot on a guy, pick the athlete is generally how we go about things. He was uh, second
1: in in Spark behind Miles Garrett. Behind Miles Garrett. Garrett. That's right.
0: Miles Garrett was the best athlete at edge in that class. He was in like the 98th percentile of athletes. Jordan Willis was in the 97th percentile, 97th and a half technically, but whatever, who's counting? Uh, He was out of Kansas State, so I I saw him a little bit on the Big 12. He finished his senior season, uh, or I don't know if it was a senior season, but it was the season before he was drafted. He finished with 11 and a half sacks and was named the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He notched a 16% pressure rate and got a pressure every 9.6 snaps off the edge. So, great prospect coming out of college. Athletic. Goes to the pros. Goes to Cincinnati. And proceeds to do nothing. Uh, It hasn't really translated into production. Uh, Among 99 edge defenders, with at least 500 pass rush snaps since 2017. He is 70th in pass rush grade, which isn't like that Bruce Irvin, Cassius Marsh realm. 93rd in pressure rate which is in that Solomon Thomas range and 61st in win rate, which is similar to Bruce Servin. So
1: like, look,
0: may not be the savior, but he's an athlete. He has speed on the edge, which is not something the Niners have right now. And if you're telling me he's going to give me like some Cassius Marish Solomon Thomas vibes for
1: effectively a pick swap, why the hell not take a chance? I think, so I think that's the most important point, right? Like, why not? You're, you're giving up nothing. You're losing nothing by taking a chance on this player. Um, I think just in terms of expectation setting, again, this is is since 2017, right? So we have, what, four seasons worth of information about Jordan Willis as a pro, and that information tells us that he hasn't been a very good pro. Um, everything that he, like we talked about was like, he is the, the new Ziggy for the 49ers right now. So it, it's like a name that you may have been familiar with, especially, you know, during the draft process, if you listened to us, it was somebody that we talked about as being, uh, you know, an option for the 49ers in that draft. And, uh, it, you know, had some promise definitely coming out of college, but it, at some point you are what you are once you have enough tape in the pros. And, and, and I think that's kind of the point we're at with Jordan Willis. Like I I think it would be very surprising to see him suddenly come in and like break out and be some dominant player. Like he's a body, they need a body. They, they added Ziggy Ansah. He proceeded to to tear his bicep and and immediately become unavailable. And so now they need another body and like this was somebody that was available, available for very cheap and, and he's here. And so he's going to be largely a depth piece. I think that's like what, you should expect him to be somebody that's going to get some snaps um, because they desperately need bodies at that position. And if he becomes anything more than that, like fantastic. Obviously, there is some athleticism there. He's a little bit younger than onsize, is. So I think there's a little bit more hope that maybe there's some sort of untapped potential there. But again, like what we've seen from him in a significant number of snaps at the NFL level hasn't been overwhelmingly positive. So there are a couple of new drinking rule games I think that we're going to install for the
0: Patriots game. One of them was recommended on Reddit and because Romo is going to call the game uh, between the Niners and and New England and of course Jimmy Garoppolo went to the same college as Romo. I think someone suggested that we drink every time the the kind of records that Garoppolo beat that once were Romo's uh, are going to be brought up often. That's definitely a rule we're installing as a special for this week. (laughs) The other may be and actually, oh no, we can't do it this week. Damn it. Because of the COVID rules, Jordan Willis isn't gonna be on the team this week. You have to wait a week until he passes the whole COVID protocol and then it's the next week. But he's got this really funny looking spin move where he kind of gets upfield and then he spins and and he it, it's like it's not a graceful spin like uh Dwight Freeney or someone like that, where you're like, oh, that's explosive. Like that that's a spin that just looks cool. It's like He's like rolling out of bed and falls off it, but he, the bed is the tackle, and and he's <laughs> he's gotten a sack in college this way, and he got a sack against Gardner Minshew last year in using the same move where he just kind of like like mushes himself up against the tackle and rolls around him and ends up getting a sack on Minshew. I was gonna say that if if we see that move, you, you have to drink, and those were gonna be the two specials against the Patriots, but. We can only have one because Willis won't be on the team until next week. So that's too bad.
1: I remember thinking this during the the whole draft uh, stuff as well with him. Like he's the least coordinated great athlete that maybe has ever existed. <laughs> like he just, so, so obviously like tested very well, like is, is I think clearly like a good athlete, right? Um, even for among great athletes, uh, as a professional football player, um, but my, the dude just like looks uncor, like he doesn't look smooth, right? Like there's, so, there's some athletes that like just maybe. make it, yeah, like look easy and it, everything's fluid and, and it's just like, he is, is just like very boxy and yeah, it's, it's weird. he just, doesn't look super coordinated. It's, it's very funny to watch him sometimes. He has a hard time moving in ways that
0: are not angular, yeah. which doesn't always make for a good football player. Um, but let's get, let's move on and get a just a quick pulse check on the Niners because they're going to see the new England Patriots up this week. And this is now a Patriots team that looks very beatable. I think, you know, we, we talked about the gauntlet that the Niners are going to face moving into this year. And, and of course, every, every season develops a, a different way in teams that maybe you thought were going to be good or not so good. The Patriots just got beat by the fighting drew locks. They look very beatable. The, the Niners, the, the line, I think, moved from four just before Sunday, favoring the Patriots, all the way to just one and a half now. And, I mean, that's the, that's the strength of the Niners' win against the Rams, who people think are good but may not be good because they can only beat the NFC East. And the the Patriots losing against the, the Broncos, I think, is really what's kind of mashing that line together. So, if the Niners, I mean, the Niners re-injected some life after this win against the Rams. If the Niners
1: beat the Patriots, what does this do to their season? I mean, it's it's at this point they're just like every win is they live to fight another week, right? Like yeah. if if they would have lost this game against the Rams and you go to 2 and 4, it, it becomes very difficult to see a path to the playoffs at that point, right? And so obviously a, a you you get a win in that game, okay, you stave off that that conversation for another week um and and so i mean eventually they'll hit a point where if they do manage to somehow string off like a number of these wins right and they keep beating these good teams Um, or even if, you know, you don't want to say like that they're, they're like great teams or anything like that. Maybe, you know, a team like the Rams that played an easy schedule and maybe we look back at that game and, and okay, the Rams weren't as good as we thought they were coming into it. Like they're still not a bad team. This still isn't the giants and the jets that they're playing, right. Where we're talking about some of the worst teams in football. So it's going to be, yeah, a, a situation where they just like live to survive another week and keep those hopes alive. But Every week is going to bring that sort of challenge, and it's just by by putting themselves in that two and three hole to begin with. There's just not a lot of room for error left, right? Like obviously they can still lose a few games, and they will lose a few more games over the course of the season. Um, but but it's just they they got to win a lot more than they lose at this point. Like that's just where where they're at, right? Yeah, when when you think about what Shanahan was able to
0: do, because I do feel like Shanahan is. I'm so happy that they signed him to a contract extension before the year because he he is what he is the engine that powers this team, and and he is powering this offense and now and and he goes up against other coaches and he's generally I think one of the I think he is one of the best coaches in the NFL but you're now going up against you you, you know the goat you're going up against a, a coach that can outcoach you on any day with the things that he has forgotten about coaching like he he has enough knowledge forgotten that's i mean he could probably take uh you know how like in mario kart you like race your ghost he could say i'm gonna take all the things i forgot between my cleveland head coaching job and my new england head coaching job and put that race ghost against adam Gase and whoop him by 30 points <laughs> like th- this is the coach the manager are going up against and the, <laughs> he he double teamed a check down Against the Raiders and Derek Carr. Because Derek Carr loves to check down so much. Like this is the level that Bill Belichick operates on. And, and so, yeah, I do think that you, you look at the quarterback and, and I don't know that Cam Newton has played tri- like exceptionally well at throwing the ball. He's been very good at running the ball, but he's not been a, a fantastic thrower of the ball. Ben Garland is injured. And the Niners are not super great against quarterback runs. And so this may be one of those games where it's like, I could see maybe their run game doing some good things, but you got to know that Bill Belichick is going to come in, gearing up, stop the run.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you know that their defensive game plan is, is going to largely be on point. Right. And I think the, the things that they do, like he's going to have some answers for them on third down because they, the 49ers have a clear tendency in, in big downs, big situations for Jimmy Garoppolo to stare at George Kittle and wait for something to happen and wait for him to get open. And, and they're going to do everything that they can to take Kittle away. Like new England's one of the few teams like, like I, I feel like it, it gets tossed around that like top receivers and stuff like that just get doubled all the time. And it's just not a thing that, that actually happens all the time. Like you may have some coverages where you're, you're trying to get like, um you know, maybe a couple players that are in that guy's area. Right. I think like, cover six, for example. So if you know that you have a top receiver that's going to line up on on a single receiver side, right? And you're going to put trips away from her or something like that. You're trying to get him isolated like DeAndre Hopkins was in that opening game against the 49ers, right? So maybe you can run like cover six, right? And you're going to put your two side over there. So you get a safety over the top, but they're not like actually double teaming him, right? So you have two players that are going to kind of be in that area, potentially depending on the type of route that he runs and the ideas that you're you're helping those defenders not have to defend the full route tree, right? So you have somebody short that can kind of hopefully handle some of the short routes. You have somebody deep if he goes vertical, but you're not like truly doubling him, right? And it's still very possible for him to get open or for him to not see both of those defenders, depending on how the play uh, unfolds. Like New England is one of the teams that will do true double teams, like where they are actually going to bracket specific receivers um, in these key situations and they do it far more often than any other team in the NFL and so when you get to those third down situations especially um, they're going to have some coverages that that are going to take away your top options and and you're going to have to go elsewhere and if you can't find other options you're going to be in for a very very long day
0: Yeah. And you've got to imagine that, that especially with Belichick waxing philosophical about George Kittle in the, the kind of media pregame, that that's the guy they're going to target. And and this is where you're going to see Shanahan and Garoppolo get tested when it comes to going to his other, his other players. This is where Debo hopefully is going to play a bigger role. Um, and, and and this is where the, the run game is going to have to, I think the Niners are going to have to do more than run the ball and, and, and they're going to have to go back to a different center now. Um, the the onus is on Tronis, Grasu, who's back starting at center. Oh man, I totally stole that from Twitter, and I want to. I'm going to look to see who I stole it from just to give him a shout out because it was delicious. It was it was a fantastic pun. I, I wish I would have thought of it first. But but you we talked a lot about how the offensive line had communication issues, and they finally got their swagger back against Aaron Donald. We didn't even talk about that in the game stuff. It's just how. The Niners eliminated Donald just simply because of the game plan and getting the ball out of his hands. Um, but now you've got a new center with an offensive line that was finally starting to gel with communication. And, and he didn't play a bad game against Arizona. He played actually a pretty good game against Arizona. But it's just not in a good spot. And, and I think after all of that, the real question against the, the Patriots is, is going to be, will Brian Hoyer get his revenge? <laughs> will Brian Hoyer finally get his revenge against the 49ers. That's the question I think everyone needs to, to answer. And that's really what the game is going to come down to.
1: Maybe he'll come in and he'll be trying to target one receiver and then another receiver will actually catch the ball and people won't be able to tell the <laughs> difference. Um, that was fun. Anyway, yeah, I, I mean, the, the the quarterback runs and in, in stopping Cam is obviously when you go to the other side of the ball, like it is going to be... Uh, at the top of the list in terms of what you need to be able to defend because we know that they're going to go to it frequently. Like, um, it's just something that's you know going to be a big part of their offense. And it's especially something that the 49ers have struggled with. I mean, they are, when you look at team defensive grade, when the quarterback is the primary ball carrier the 49ers are 28th in the NFL. Like we've talked about their struggles a- against quarterback designed runs, uh, at multiple points this season, like, they're just not in a great situation there. And so it's going to be uh, something that they really have to hopefully focus on this week in practice. Like, obviously, this is a game. This is a little bit different than, like, Daniel Jones pulling out a couple on you when you're not expecting Daniel Jones to do something, right? Like, this is, is fucking Cam Newton. This has been part of their offense. Like, you know this is coming. You have to be prepared for this part of their offense, or is this going to be uh, an incredibly long day for you?
0: It was Jake Cosenza. On Twitter, who gave me the onus on her onus spit because respect. Well done. Respect to you, Jake. Absolutely. Keep sending those my way. I love them. That about does it for this edition of the Better Rivals podcast. We will do a pregame ahead of the Niners-Patriots game for our Patreon subscribers. Live Q&A on YouTube. They're fun. 30 minutes. quick fire questions. We do a little pregame, uh, a bit more pregame prep than we can do uh, on this pod. So get some more content get some questions answered live every week join up come join us come have a coffee or a beer or a mimosa or some orange juice uh or a breakfast sandwich you know whatever whatever thing you want to do in the morning while listening about football come join us Uh, you can always follow me on twitter at better rivals david where can they follow you that will be at pff underscore david thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners